Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. There is nothing quite as exciting as the birth of a baby. I remember holding my firstborn son in my arms and how it just melted my heart away as I looked at him and realized he was a product of my husband and myself. Well, I've seen moms weep with joy as they see their baby for the first time, just like me, and dads who melt with love over this new little life that they didn't know they could have those emotional feelings. Many of us experience the same similar feelings of love and joy as we approach this Christmas season, and we focus on that one special child, the Christ child, the baby boy, the reason for the season. Well, we have to ask ourselves, what child is this, as the Christmas carol asks? This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe the son of Mary. Today, we are going to take a closer look at this child, our one and only Savior, Jesus Christ, so we can examine who he is and what he was destined to do. It's a familiar story, as Christmas stories always are, just a few chapters in Scripture. But I encourage you to open your hearts to hear this story, to hear about this child from a different, a spiritual perspective. I'm Debbie Blank, wishing you a very Merry Christmas. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors, and I want to join Debbie in wishing you a very blessed and Merry Christmas. The greatest gift anyone can offer at this time of year has always been the true spirit of the season. And this is the gift that we want to share with you today. So we pray today that the Holy Spirit will transform your heart with renewed joy and hope as you receive the birth of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, as set forth in the gospel message. I love these chapters of the Bible. The Christmas story can be read in Matthew's chapters 1 and 2 and in Luke chapters 1 and 2. We don't have them all in one chronological order, but we get the idea. And most people, when they talk about the Christmas story, don't start with Matthew 1.1, but we're going to today. Because when we examine what child is this, we have to go back to the very beginning of Matthew as it explains who this child is. And we find out from the very first two verses when it says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We find out he's of the lineage of David and the lineage of Abraham. More specifically, in verse 2, it says, To Abraham was born Isaac, and to Isaac Jacob, and to Jacob Judah and his brothers. So let's stop there for a minute. Right here, we find out that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised Messiah way back in Genesis 3.15. When sin had come into the world, God promised that he would give us Savior to save us from our sins. And Jesus is that Savior. Now, we don't really see that he's the Savior until Genesis 12. We don't know it's really him, technically, until we get to the New Testament. But we see all these prophecies in the Old Testament that point to the Savior that would be revealed in the New Testament. And the New Testament reveals him as Jesus Christ. 
I'm thinking about that quote, in, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And this was part of the Abrahamic covenant. And I think, was that a strange thing to say to Abraham? Could he have understood what God was talking about, make that connection to the prophecy that you referred to in the Garden of Eden, that first prophecy of the Messiah to come? Do you think Abraham got that? Did he understand it at the time? Well, I know that when God gave Abraham the covenant, it was a covenant for Abraham to be the father of the Jewish nation. So when God promised in that covenant that in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed, that went outside the promise of the Abrahamic covenant and the land that was promised to them. What's even more unique is if you check it out and you read Genesis 26, 3 and 4 and Genesis 28, 13 and 14, you will see that God promised the exact same wording to Isaac and Jacob. He didn't just promise them the lineage of the Messiah and the descendants or the, just the land, which he did promise them. But he said to them, quote, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That means Jews and Gentiles alike. From the time of Abraham forward, the world was divided into two people groups, Jews and Gentiles. But they were divided. So that means that the Jews were going to come through the lineage of Abraham. The Messiah was going to come through the lineage of Abraham. But the rest of the world was out there. And yet here, God gives the promise. So did Abraham know that? Well, we'll never know. But we do know from Hebrews eleven six that without faith, it's impossible to please God. For who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And Abraham had that faith. So I couldn't help but believe that maybe God gave him a glimpse of what this future Messiah was going to be like, what this promise really meant outside of just the land and the people and the descendants. And we can look back and know that this promise of the Messiah was from the very beginning meant for the entire earth. And then he promises that he's the son of David. Why is that important? Because all the Jews descend from Abraham. So that's not so unusual. But what sets it apart is the descendant of David. Because David is the king that God promised his kingdom would be on the throne forever. Not only through his son Solomon, but the Davidic covenant was given to him in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where there would be a descendant of David on the throne forever. Well, there can only be a person forever who's on the throne that is God. He was, he is, he is to come. The Messiah had to be the descendant of David to sit on the throne. And by the way, going back to Matthew 1, 2, we're told that the lineage would not only go through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but through Jacob's son, Judah. Genesis 49 tells us that the kingship would go through Judah. And then later, we, of course, learn in Matthew 1, verse 6, that the lineage would go through David, as we discussed. This lineage in Matthew 1, and then over again in Luke 3, which is a little different lineage, one through Joseph's side and one through Mary's side, all takes the Messiah, Jesus Christ, through the royal lineage that God promised. So I'm seeing the fulfillment of another covenant here. I'm seeing the Davidic covenant. So we have the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant. This promise of the Messiah is being refined. Um, it's coming through David. David was a king. So we're talking about a kingship. Jesus is a king. Pilate asked Jesus if he was king. And we know that, that he is the king forever, an eternal king. So that means that he it comes from God. He is the Messiah. Another preview of Jesus coming as a baby into the earth to be the Messiah, not just to rule on the earth, but to rule eternally. 
And Luke chapter 1, verse 32 confirms that also. Different author says the same thing when he says that the Lord God will give him, this is Mary's son, Jesus, the throne of his father, David. These are important prophecies that need to be fulfilled by the Messiah. And Jesus fulfills them. Well, in getting back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, when Joseph is spoken to by the angel Gabriel, the angel tells Joseph his son's name is going to be called Jesus. Jesus is Joshua. It means the Lord is salvation. So he's saying that Jesus is the Lord and he is salvation. Joseph didn't make up this name. The angel said it was going to be given to him. Same thing happened with Mary. In Luke chapter 1, she's told that his name will be called Jesus in verse 31. So they both are told the same thing, separate and apart, because this child, this special child of theirs, is the Lord is salvation. That's what his name means. By the way, in reading the Christmas story, it is clear that Mary and Joseph were betrothed in ancient times. That meant, in effect, they were married. It wasn't just like being engaged. They were married for all legal purposes. But they had not yet consummated their marriage, nor did they until after Jesus was born. So there could be no doubt that this child, the Lord is salvation is his name, is the one that was conceived by the Holy Spirit. They were together because they were married, but the marriage hadn't been consummated. Important point for us to know, especially as we look at the virgin birth. In Luke chapter 1, verse 31 and 35, we're told that this child will be born of a virgin. Matthew 1, says the same thing. Well, Mary was smart enough to say, how can that be since I have not known a man? So the angel goes on and, and explains to her in Luke 1, by answering and saying, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring, there's another name for Jesus, the holy offspring, shall be called the Son of God. It says in Scripture that his name shall be called Jesus, and they named him Jesus, but sometimes people do get confused when it also says in Scripture, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. So his name is Jesus, but he will be called, recognized, known as God with us. In John 1, it tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father. That is God with us, Emmanuel, the one who became flesh and dwelt among us as God. So he's Jesus, the Lord of salvation. This child is Emmanuel, God with us. He's also called the Son of the Most High that we just read, from Luke, and that means the son of El Elyon, the Most High God, the only God, the only one. He's not a Baal God. He's not one of the hundred and plus gods of Egypt. He is the one true God, El Elyon. When we go back to Matthew 21, we're also told what he's going to do. This child, who is yet to be born at this time, the angel tells Joseph he will save his people from his sins. He didn't tell Mary that. And there's good reason why, because when the Jews were saved from their sins, it required a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, a perfect lamb for Passover had to be sacrificed with the blood put on the doorpost to save the people from dying during the 10th plague. But this, however, I believe is talking about a feast that was initiated way back in Leviticus 23, and that is Yom Kippur. 
where a sacrificial lamb was taken. Actually, two were taken. They could be called a lamb or a goat. Uh, they were taken, and one of them, the sins of the people were put on his head, and he was taken out in the wilderness and let go. The other one was sacrificed, and his blood was laid upon the mercy seat to make propitiation or satisfaction to God of the sins of the people. That's who Jesus is. He's the one who would save the people from the sins. So he was the sacrificial lamb or would be from when this prophecy was made, who would save the people from his sins. Later in scripture, he's actually called the propitiation for our sins because he satisfied what needed to happen, a perfect sin sacrifice so that God could overlook the sins of the people who would believe in that sacrifice. So this is a very, very special baby. We've already talked about prophecies being fulfilled and what he was going to fulfill. Does it really matter then if he's born of a virgin? Because a lot of people will say when you get to that point, oh, I can accept all that other stuff. But why is it important that he was born of a virgin? Because he must be God. He must be the perfect sacrifice. And the only perfect sacrifice is God. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means you and I, from the moment that sin came into the world from Adam and Eve, their offspring, which is us, are born into sin. All you have to do is look at a baby. It doesn't take long before their sin nature kicks in. They don't have to learn it. It's natural within them. They want, they want what they want. So it needed a perfect sacrifice to cover the sins of mankind, and only God is perfect. So the offspring that came into this world has to be God. This tells us that Jesus is God because he is that perfect sacrifice. How is that possible? We just read it out of Luke 1. You and I don't understand it. Mary didn't understand it. That's why she asked. But it says the Holy Spirit would overshadow her, and the power of the Most High would come upon her. So somehow God did what he had to do to impregnate Mary without having a sexual act. That means that there was no sperm, there was no seed. It was God implanted in Mary's womb so that he could be God who would surrender himself, humble himself to taking the form of a bond servant so that he might be still 100% God while still being 100% man. I can't explain that. I don't know that any of us can understand how you can be 100% of this and 100% of that. But he is because he's God, and yet he's the perfect sacrifice. We are saved from our sins because God chose to come down on this earth in the form of this child so that he might grow up to be the propitiation for us, to cover the sins of mankind so we can have an eternal relationship with God. God taking on flesh so that he could become one of us so that sinless, he could also bear our sins, be our kinsman redeemer. It's also prophesied. It's another fulfillment of prophecy that Mary would be, the mother of Jesus would be a virgin. That's right. It's prophesied out of Isaiah seven fourteen and fulfilled as we see both in Matthew and Luke. Very important aspect to this. Now, some people will say that Jesus was never born of a virgin. Some people will discredit scripture when they say that because the Bible prophesied it in the Old Testament and the New Testament writers confirm that Jesus fulfilled those prophecies. 
Well, when all things are possible with God. Amen. And that's what Mary said, as a matter of fact, in Luke chapter one, with God, all things are possible. We don't understand them, but then we can't understand God. He is so far above us. His ways are far above man's ways. He is the author of life. He can create life when and however he wants to. That's exactly right. He also made sure that Jesus was born in Bethlehem because Micah 5, 2 prophesied that he would be. And in Matthew 2, we see a fulfillment of that when the Magi came to ask King Herod where he was going to be born. And also after he was born in Bethlehem, the Old Testament prophesied that he would go out to Egypt and he did. So from Matthew 2, verse 15, it says, out of Egypt did I call my son. Jesus was forced to leave with his parents, the area of Bethlehem and go into Egypt because Herod was going to kill all the babies. Why? Because the Magi had come to Herod and said, we want to know where this king of the Jews has been born so we can go worship him. Well, Herod was the most ruthless king. He killed anyone who threatened him and a future king threatened him. Since the Magi didn't come back to say where this king was born, he sent his soldiers out to kill all the male children, two years and younger, in Bethlehem and its environs in order to destroy this child. But God, through a dream, spoke to Joseph and sent him off to Egypt. He would have at this point been maybe a year, certainly under two, because that's who Herod was killing, was males under two. So he would have been a young infant at this time. And spiritually significant is that Satan, the enemy, it was always trying to destroy God's plan. And if he could destroy this child, it would destroy God's plan. Prophetically, in Revelation, we see the woman give birth to the child, the, the Israel give birth to the Savior. And the enemy is there waiting to devour that child. But God keeps that child safe. Oh, that's a very good point. If Satan can destroy the prophecies of the Old Testament from coming to fruition, he can destroy God's plan. He can make God out to be a liar. That's why God will not allow this. He tried to kill Jesus in his first coming. He tries to kill the Jews at the second coming so that Jesus will not come back for them and so that the prophecies will not be fulfilled. Satan never gives up. He wants to destroy any semblance of God. He wants to take us away from having a relationship with God. But he never wins. Just read the end of God's book. We find out that God wins. And how does he win? He wins through Jesus Christ. Well, when this child was born, what happened? We talked about the Magi coming. Here we have also in Luke chapter 2, the good news of great joy, which shall be for all people, which was declared by the angels to the shepherds. Did you catch that? Good news, that's the gospel, of great joy. There's no greater joy than we can have than to have a Savior who loves us, who's God, die for our sins. And then the angel said, which shall be for all peoples. Remember that prophesying of Genesis 12? All the nations of the earth will be blessed. So they are declaring that this Messiah is for all people. He's the fulfillment of the Genesis 12 prophecy, which actually goes back to the Genesis 3.15 prophecy. In Luke chapter 2, when Jesus was taken into the temple in order to be circumcised and presented there, there was a man named Simeon, a righteous and devout man, looking for the consolation of Israel, we're told in Luke 2, 25. Well, when he sees 
the Messiah. He knows he's the Messiah. God had promised him that he would see the Messiah before he died. He blesses God when he says, Now, Lord, you let your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Then he's talking about this child, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon's saying what has already been prophesied, that Jesus, this child, is a light to the Jews and the Gentiles alike. And he's quoting Isaiah 42, 6 there, which is talking about the Gentile nations, the people around the world besides the Jews. Jesus would come and save the whole world, Jews and Gentiles alike. That's why the angels were resounding with joy as they proclaimed the good news to the shepherds. And Isaiah also says, I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. So there's a reference to Jesus being God, being the Lord God. And the joy is, do you need a Savior? Anybody around the world that needs a Savior has a Savior because Jesus was willing to come to earth as that baby, and he died for you, and he is able because he has the power of the Almighty. So he was willing, and he had the power to do it, and he did it. Imagine he came as Christ the Lord, Luke 2, 12. Christ means Messiah. Lord is curious, one who you give all of your attention to, one whom you honor in everything that you do. That's this child. It couldn't be more clear that we're not coming to worship a baby sitting in a manger. We're coming to worship the Messiah, the promised prophesied Messiah, from the very beginning of mankind, and that's Jesus, this child. If you look at some of the things we've just discussed, they are the fulfillment of somewhere between 12 and 14 prophecies that were made in the Old Testament. Do you know what the chances are if you and I decided we were going to make sure that all these were fulfilled exactly as the Bible said? The chances of 14 of these prophecies being fulfilled is like 1 in 10 to the 25th power. That's 25 zeros after the number one. It is so impossible for one person to manipulate this child matching all these prophecies that it would be like taking a ring off your finger, flying around the whole world, dropping your ring somewhere, uh, specifically in an ocean which covers most of the world, and then saying to somebody, go find the ring. It is absolutely impossible for these prophecies to have been manipulated so that this child fulfills the prophecies. Matter of fact, Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies at his first coming, and there's still a lot more for him to fulfill at his second coming. Debbie, we've covered 14 prophecies in four chapters, but you say there are over 300 prophecies of his first coming. So could you tell us some more? Well, I'm just going to throw out a few more of those because they are interesting to see about who Jesus is and what he would do for us. Moses was prophesied to him that there would be raised up after him a great prophet. The New Testament is clear that it's Jesus in John 6, 14 and in 7, 40. It tells us in the Bible that Jesus was going to be hung on a tree, becoming a curse for us. That we can see in Galatians 3, 13, that he was that curse. He would be with a rich man in his death, but his body wouldn't undergo decay. And Jesus did not. 
in Isaiah 53, there are oodles of discussions of how Jesus would suffer for us, the one suffering for the all, being scourged for our transgressions, dying for our cause, and that no bone in his body would be broken. We see that in the Psalms 34, 20. He'd be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. We know that Judas did that. And he'd be scourged by his enemies. He'd be given gall and vinegar, and he wouldn't take it. Psalm 69, 21. He'd speak in parables. That's kind of a unique thing, because you don't see a lot of people speaking in parables, but Jesus did. That he would have a forerunner. We know John the Baptist was the forerunner, prophesied in Malachi 3 and 4. We can look at Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, that prophesies exactly when Jesus will enter Jerusalem as a prince, as the one riding on a donkey. That's another another prophecy about him. Zechariah 12, 10 tells us that he would be pierced through for our transgressions, that people would look on him whom they have pierced and they will mourn. There are so many more prophecies of what Jesus did. We look at the love that he had for us to give up his life for us. We look at Jesus as the fulfillment of the Passover lamb in the timing and the way he was killed. We look at Jesus as the fulfillment of the feasts that are mentioned in Leviticus 23, how his life and death fulfilled the first four spring feasts and how his return will fulfill the final three feasts. We could go on and on about all the prophecies from the very beginning when God prophesied in Genesis 3.15 to Satan when he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. He's talking there about the virgin birth and he's talking about the Messiah who would conquer Satan. Since that time, every book in the Bible is woven with prophecies of the Messiah. The New Testament confirms hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that were prophesied in the Old Testament. Matthew alone confirms 93 prophecies of Jesus' first coming because God wanted us to be looking for the first coming of our Messiah who would save us for our sins. He also wants us to be prepared knowing future prophecies so we are ready and alert and faithful at the second coming of Jesus Christ when he will come in all of his glory. We've been talking today just about this child, not really that much about what he was going to do, a little bit, but not much. There's so much more to talk about his prophecies, but on this Christmas, consider this child is like no other. No person in all human history compares to Jesus, compares to who he is, what he did for us, the impact he's had on all the people of the world. Revelation 19.10 tells us that for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, and Jesus fulfilled those prophecies. So when you think this Christmas of this child, remember, this child hails from the lineage of the patriots is the prophesied son of David, will sit on the throne of David, was born in Bethlehem of a virgin, escaped from Herod's death plans and came out of Egypt. He's called the Lord of salvation, the holy offspring, the son of God, God with us, Savior, Messiah, Lord, Son of the Most High, bringing good news of great joy because he saves his people from his sin. This child is God in the flesh, God incarnate, Jesus Christ. 
Isaiah 9, 6 explains who this child is when it says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. May your focus be on this child, Jesus the Christ, our Savior, our Lord, during this Christmas season and all year long. And may you get the greatest gift of all this Christmas season by surrendering your life to this child. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.